Hello, welcome back to Sextras. Where we talk about sex and all the extras. I'm Honey. And I'm Maria. And welcome back to our masculinity mini-series. Whoop, whoop. We're so excited about this mini-series. Today we're joined by Ben Hurst, who is honestly just an all-round like amazing person from our call that we had um but he's an activist educator he's the head of facilitation at beyond equality which is a charity that like talks to men and boys to make them kind of rethink what it means to be a man um and he's done two ted talks he's done one called boys won't be boys they'll be what we teach them to be which is basically what we're going to be talking about today and also we need to talk to boys about online misogyny so yeah we're really excited to talk to him we needed to bring someone in to do like a male empowerment talk because you know we definitely couldn't have done that (laughs) can't say more more than a a single positive thing about men per episode (laughs) can't say we've been the best role models in this respect but we called ourselves out in the episode with ben and you know we talked to him about it he 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 didn't take it too badly, so... Yeah, no, he accepted us for who we were, <laughs> and he's a great role model, so he's going to talk to us about, like, what positive masculinity actually means, and we basically learn for ourselves what it can be, and <laughs> hopefully you guys will learn a lot too. So, yeah, please welcome Ben Hurst onto the podcast. Well, thank you so much for joining us. As we were saying, we've been wanting to do this episode for a really long time, so it's great to finally meet you. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. I love a good podcast, especially uh, a sex podcast, the most fun of all of the podcasts. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, sadly, we're not actually talking about sex today. But... Boo. 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 But I guess if it comes up, then there's no harm in shoehorning it in. Um, But yeah, as we were saying, we really love all the work that you're doing at Beyond Equality. And we have said that we are kind of guilty ourselves of chatting shit about men, especially when it comes to dating, which it it does come from lived experience, to be fair. Like, it's not just... (laughs) based off nothing but we definitely want to find a way to kind of move towards a more positive way of speaking about men and thinking about what masculinity is Mm. and so yeah so you go into schools and you hear all of the horrible things that kids think men should be (laughs) yeah 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 I mean yeah a lot a lot of stuff like it's not it's not all it's not all negative Mm-hmm. but a lot of it That's is good. negative yeah a lot of it is negative I think it's quite an overwhelmingly dark image of like yeah a lot of limitation a lot of boundaries that you're not allowed to cross a lot of expectations about who you're supposed to be rather than like leaning into who you actually are which at a young age I imagine feels like a lot of pressure I mean I remember being young right and it was a lot of pressure so yeah I think it's nice on one hand that they have the opportunity to talk and like explore and open up topics, but then on the other hand, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of shit that gets said in those rooms, man. They're fucking little psychos, but <laughs> we love them. Yeah, but a lot of uh, most of it is just gendered stereotypes, you know, like the normal kind of stuff that exists uh, in the zeitgeist, in like media, in TV, in film, music, all of those kinds of ideas about men being strong, being dominant, being in charge being able to sleep with loads of women regardless of whether they're actually attracted to women or not. And lots of stuff about like, interestingly, more recently, I think there's been lots of conversation about like the lack of platonic friendships or like women women much less as like people who you have interactions with and much more as objects to be like conquered um, and pursued, mm. which yeah, is a lot of stuff to kind of unpick and unpack. Um, but it's like, oh, that's an interesting analogy. Maybe we're like archaeologists. I don't think we're like archaeologists. <laughs> in my mind, now I am. So I'm going to run with yeah. that. Yeah. you got to believe what you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Delusion is the spice of life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And do, have you noticed, like, from when you were at school to now, obviously, talking to so many kids, like, 
are there any changes is it better is it worse What's oh man kind of looking like that's a good question um in some it's both right like in some ways it is much better i think there's a lot more awareness um of mental health and mental well-being um and both the good and bad sides right so i think kids are like a lot more able to identify problems i think they're a lot more open to the idea of exploring or talking about their feelings and the fact that that's linked to like their well-being um and maybe this idea that like bottling stuff up isn't necessarily the best course of action for them um so that's like a massive improvement i think at the same time um social media exists so it I don't even know if it makes it better or worse I just know they live in a completely different world to the one that I grew up in do you know what I mean like in lots of ways mm. and obviously I've grown with social media at the same time um but not in those like formative years of my life where like I was going to school where like the internet, internet was still like dial up and stuff do you know what I mean it was still like yeah while you're trying to (laughs) try to use msn to chat to your friends after school so i think there's just so much information that they have access to yeah good information and bad information which makes it a lot more difficult for them but ultimately kids are always going to be kids do you know what i mean like i think brain development is always going to be the same fingers crossed in young people um so there's lots of normal stuff like risk-taking behavior and like wanting to differentiate from their caregivers wanting to have different opinions and be contrarian and like watch fucked up videos and chat shit about stuff. I don't know. They're just normal. Do you know what I mean? It's like Mm. when I was 14, we were watching South Park and American Pie and thought it was hilarious. So then like as much as it can feel bad, like they're not super far removed from where we were at that age. But yeah, it's a, it's a different beast. I think that they're, they're battling. I think there's a lot of pressure around like their online footprint around like, uh, sex and sexuality and, and the expression and exploration of that because so much is accessible whereas when I was younger that felt very contained it felt like you had to like sneak a magazine from somewhere or look at the front page or page two of the sun or something do you know what I mean like it was it was a different world so yeah very different also exactly the same but I think the biggest thing is just letting them I always find like especially when talking to young people, because we talk to people of all ages, but young people in particular, I feel like I learn a lot in the conversations. Do you know what I mean? Because they're Mm. kind of letting us into their world. And it's really interesting that there's so much weird stuff going on. I've learned about so many YouTubers in the last like five years. that I (laughs) YouTube wasn't even a thing when I was a kid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What are they... Are they good? Like influences the YouTubers? Or no, no, it... no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. Uh, some, I mean, some of them are, some of them are neutral. That's what I'd say. I'd say <laughs> some of them are like not having a positive or a negative impact. I think a lot of it is just entertainment for them. And then there's obviously like the dark side of the internet, which is like much more mainstream now, I guess, than it was once upon a time with like your Andrew Tates and your Jordan Petersons. I don't know if those two belong in the same category, but like definitely mm-hmm. lean into that like uh, far right, almost like radical kind of misogyny mm-hmm. that exists in like those ideologies. And that I think is, again, it's just so easily accessible where once upon a time you would have really had to go out of your way to find it. Now it's like you open your TikTok and on your main feed, it's just there, 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 there. And I think, yeah, the algorithms are set up to keep us all in echo chambers anyway. So once you're into it, you're really into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not like trying to find subreddits anymore. It's like (laughs) just everywhere. Every time you look on anything, it's there. So, yeah, I Mm -hmm. think uh, not not loads. I haven't seen loads of YouTubers. Also, I'm not watching YouTube like that in my spare time. So I don't actually know. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not keeping tabs on it. But, yeah, I think... It's much less probably about the people and much more about the ideas that are being passed on. And some of those ideas are super harmful. Some of them are cool. Some of them are chill. Like some of them are like, make money, have a nice house or a nice car or make your bed when you wake up in the morning or exercise or drink water or brush your teeth, which is like good. Yeah, I don't know if all of those are great, but like some good messaging, but always mixed in with like some not great messaging, which Mm. I think causes Mm -hmm. a lot of harm. And what are the like worse sides of those messages like what are they um I I think probably as we've seen in recent days yeah encouraging kids 
to like sex traffic women is probably not the like the best course of action. Do you know what I mean, mm. I think a lot of it is just to do with like a form of emotional stoicism, like the idea that like if you can't help yourself, nobody's going to help you, and you have to do everything by yourself, which I think plays into like quite traditional masculine ideals, and so like those ideas of like being a protector and being a provider, which aren't inherently bad things actually, but like when they're used as like trading cards to then have power and possession over other people, I think that's probably where the problem starts. And then it kind of just boils, bubbles, 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 bubbles until it gets to like the very extreme types of like making women, like I think like the complete lack of consent that exists online and the encouragement of that I think is a bit scary. So like the encouragement to like, just do things anyway and you know what people like and you know because I'm telling you so if you do this it will definitely work rather than like those dynamics in relationships being about understanding and communicating with other people and and trying to like give people what they want out of any kind of relationship or situation Mm. so yeah I think I think maybe that's for me it's probably the biggest thing is that everything's become very not even become, I think things have often been very transactional, but now it's like we're doubling down on it. And the idea is like, if you follow this set of rules or these specific sets of behaviours, then you will be able to have all of the things that I'm telling you you can have, whether that's money, whether that's power or control, um, whether that's popularity, success, whatever it might be. Like, I think, yeah, those narratives also... It's just a bit dumb, isn't it? Like, I, I don't know. I just feel I, that's where I get stuck with it all because I just think, mm, obviously that doesn't work. Like, real life doesn't mm. actually work like that. But yeah, I think for, if I think back to like 14-year-old version of myself, I don't know if somebody older than me telling me that would have convinced me otherwise, especially when the person I'm looking at has all the things that I want. So I think it's about finding other ways to like develop that critical thinking skill in young people so they can process those things for themselves and arrive at good conclusions mm. me and maria were saying before like when you're a kid popularity seems like everything and like having control over, over other people i feel like the dynamics between teenagers especially girls weirdly i mean i obviously can't speak from like a male experience because that's not my experience but like being a teenage girl I feel like so much of your interaction is about control and power and who's the most popular and who gets Mm. the most attention Mm. and so yeah when you're kind of like fed that information just so readily off on TikTok or wherever you're obviously going to find that appealing which is really scary Mm. yeah it's tough right like I always think of like popularity in kids terms right like I always think of like popularity as like the the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs for teenagers do you know what I mean mm. like I feel like that's like self-actualization because popularity is like literally the ability to define your own reality when you're a young person which as an adult is like power and so I think when you're when you're a kid and there's so many things that are like completely out of your control do you know what I mean like in school you still have to ask permission to go to the toilet and stuff so it's pretty like rigid there's not a lot of control that you have and so being popular and being able to like sway people and get what you want and influence groups and all of that kind of stuff is like the ultimate goal so I can see why it matters so much I can see why it's like such a big deal for them and also you're in that community every day like Mm -hmm. five days a week you see the same people every day um so I think it's yeah it's it's tough and then what makes it difficult I think is that we all have these expectations of each other. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a guy, I spoke about this in my TED talk, there's a dude called Tony Porter who runs an organisation in the US called A Call to Men and he speaks about the collective socialisation of men. He calls it the man box, sorry. He speaks about the man box, is a better way of saying that. Um, But like all of those ideas of like what men are supposed to be in society or what makes real men. And I think as kids, like we all know that from wherever, whether it's TV, again, whether it's music, whether it's film, um, whether it's games, whether it's YouTube, whatever it is that you're consuming, whether it's just your family and the people around you, religion, whatever, you know what those ideas are. And I think the thing that's difficult for boys in particular is that it's not just boys who police that. Like, I think all of us are policing those norms and all of us hold those expectations of each other until we unlearn them. So boys hold them about boys, they hold them about girls they hold them about women men and then 
girls do the same for like women, men, boys, girls. And that's like a lot of pressure when you're around the same people all the time, especially when you're like also throwing puberty into the mix and your body's changing and all of that kind of stuff is going on and your brain is changing and you're trying to figure out who you are. So it feels like a lot of pressure, I think, for young people. And ultimately, I guess that's like what the message is, right? Is like, we're not trying to prescribe a new form of masculinity that's better than an old one. I think it's just that we want people to be free mm-hmm. from like those expectations. So like do whatever, as long as you're not causing harm to anybody else, do whatever feels good for you. Do you know what I mean? If it's like painting your nails and wearing makeup, that's chill, bro. Like <laughs> you can paint your nails and wear makeup. If it's playing sports and wrestling and being going to the gym, then that's also chill. Like it's not like there's one version of masculinity that's better than another. It's just with the ability to like know what causes harm and how to mitigate that harm for other people, then you should be able to like access whatever characteristics you want to access and be whoever you want to be in the world, which is like the most difficult thing when you're in school, right? Because like mm-hmm. literally nobody is allowed to be who they want to be. Um, so yeah, a lot of pressure. Like the the whole idea of be who you want to be and like do whatever you want. I feel like that's like a really attractive idea in a way and like I don't see why anyone would like not want to do that but I feel like then which is something that we've talked about more from like a femininity point of view I feel like then it's like you think you want that because like that you know it kind of just goes back to the start is like you think that what you want is to be like a really strong man or whatever but then it just comes back to like that's just because that's what you've been fed so like what are some of the ways that we can yeah sort of change and address that like really at the core because it is like mm. it so much of it is like subconscious ideas that we even have like about ourselves and our gender a lot of the time I think and the and like the other gender or whatever other people and ourselves mm. yeah it's it's a, a a good question right and I think it's one of the reasons that like in the work that we do we never do like one-to-one sessions with anyone we always work with like groups of guys I heard someone the other day say something which I'm not sure is true but I thought was really interesting which was like this idea that gender as a like social construct doesn't exist in individuals it only exists between people so like if you had a person who was like a feral child or if you had a person that was like on a mountain they were born and just left on this mountain and they had to grow up and fend for themselves or whatever or there was a robot that looked after them until a certain age or whatever this is becoming a weird dynamic analogy but if that was possible that person wouldn't identify as one thing or another right because they wouldn't Mm. understand the social construct they'd just be a person and I think the reality of it is that actually as much of it, like, I think what you were saying is true, right? That we make those choices. We should be allowed to make those choices about who we are and who we want to be. But so much of that exists in community with other people. Mm. So it's like the liberation of self is like one goal, but it has to come with the liberation of community at the same time. Because otherwise what you have is like somebody who opts out of those norms and then is met with hostility for being outside of those norms. Do you know what it makes me, it always makes me think of like trans people because I think one of the roots of transphobia is that other people are so like really deeply upset that people get to opt out, Mm -hmm. like they get to just choose something different. And for most of us, I think those gender norms were so heavily policed at like really young ages. Do you know what I mean? Like for, I know we do this activity where we ask people when they first realise their gender. And for men, they're always like, "Mm, no idea, I've never thought about it. Loads of guys are like, actually just now. Um, Whereas for women, they're like, it was the first time I was told I had to wear a skirt or the first time I was told I wasn't allowed to play football with the boys or the first time I was, like usually like the first time I had to make the table and set the table for dinner or do whatever. But it's always like a a form of limitation, Mm. something that you're not allowed to do. And I think the when you've been policed in that way for the majority of your life, seeing somebody opt out of it can be quite jarring. Do you know what I mean? Because in in your mind, you're like, well, why don't you have to do it if I had to do it? And nobody communicates that. But I think that's one of the things that's like really deeply rooted in, in lots of us. So I think, yeah, it has to be like that personal liberation, like that personal understanding of like, oh, this is all just 
social norms that I can choose for myself, but also that has to exist in community where everybody else is also aware of that and allows people the freedom to choose what they want and be who they want to be. Um, so I guess it's twofold. Like we've got to do those education pieces with the individuals, but also with the groups that they exist within. And then I think once you've done that, then for the majority of us, it will probably just look like trying some stuff out. Do you know what I mean? Like doing some shit that you wouldn't normally do or trying like ballet if if you're a dude and you've always wanted to dance or whatever I don't know like what what it is for each individual but I know there are things that for loads of us feel like they're off limits and I think in trying or doing those things you discover a lot about yourself and maybe you discover actually no that doesn't fit for me I don't like it I don't want to do that and that's chill as long as it's not because other people have told you that but I think yeah that first step of realizing what is really you and what is what society has told you you're supposed to be is is really really important and then once you've realized that you can just explore and you're like free to roam the wilderness and see what works for you and what doesn't and just try some stuff out Mm. yeah it's so interesting because I feel like so much of it is rooted in like feeling of okay does this feel right for me and like if Mm. you're so detached from that feeling because you're being told exactly how you're meant to be kind of from a young age maybe you just like don't actually ever stop and think about it so yeah what how do you kind of encourage kids to break it down like what how do you get them to reconnect with that feeling and start thinking about all of the options available to them um yeah, good question. How do we how do we do it? You want the secret sauce. In my mind, <laughs> I describe it as like a a deconstruction and a reconstruction of what masculinity is. So we try to not start by like I, I, actually there's no point in any of our sessions or workshops where we're like trying to tell people what the answers are. If we're telling people what the answers are, number one, we're probably doing it wrong. But number two, we're also playing into that same script in a way that might feel different to us but isn't actually different because now we're telling them that being a man is this and if they're not doing this then they're not a real man um so I think giving them the space to like surface those norms and those attitudes that kinds of that kind of exist for them whether that's like what are the stereotypes of being a man like we wouldn't ask that question we run it like set it up as a game where it's really fun and they run around and shout things out that they're not allowed to normally shout out um but I think like surfacing some of those norms so things like is it weak for men to cry um or like would you be embarrassed to cry here at school or is punching a wall a good way of dealing with anger or like how you navigate emotions do you know what I mean like whether they're positive or negative or not negative there are no negative emotions but positive or difficult emotions um how do you like process them and navigate them as as you and then once you have figured that out then the question is like where did you get that from like where did you learn it how who taught you that that was the right way to do it and I think in deconstructing that there's loads of like light bulb small light bulb moments for people where they're like oh yeah like I did learn that from my mum or I did learn that from my dad or my older brother taught me that or my friend taught me that or my cousin and then once they've got that kind of basis then I think they can start to reimagine um, or first, I guess, understanding what the impacts of that are, whether they're positive or negative. Do you know what I mean? Like, if if the if one of the things that you feel about being a man is that men are not supposed to cry, um, how do you deal with difficult emotions? Like, how when when someone passes or uh, when you fail at a test or you hurt yourself, how do you process that? What do you do? Are there other healthy ways of doing it? It doesn't mean that you have to cry, but maybe there's other things that you can do that might help you. And then once they've done that, then it's about reimagining what that can be for themselves, right? So like presenting them, but also giving them the opportunity to present themselves with healthier alternatives. Because my thing about mm. kids is like most kids are like really smart, like not maybe not academic, but like intuitively quite intelligent. And I think there are like a bunch of different types of intelligence I'm learning at the moment, but like whichever one they've got, I think most of them given the opportunity will arrive at good conclusions for themselves. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to tell them if you never cry, then it's going to impact your mental health. If you explore what not crying does, most of them will be like, Oh yeah, it makes me sad or it makes me depressed or it makes me feel like I can't talk to anyone. It makes me feel like I can't trust my friends or whatever. So then once they've got to that point, then it's just about again in, in a community in groups, like how do we create an environment where we can 
do something different or where we can opt out and helping them to understand that all of them have power and all of them have control over those norms for groups, right? So like in school, whether you are a perpetrator, like if we talk about bullying, for example, whether you're the perpetrator, whether you're the victim or whether you're just a bystander and you're somebody who just sees it happening, every person in that scenario has power to change the outcome. And so how do we, number one, decide what outcomes we want and then number two, move towards those outcomes as a group. And I think if we can give them the opportunity to do that, sorry, it sounds really long here. Sessions are two hours, so there's time to do it. And it doesn't sound like this when you're doing it. That would be incredibly boring. (laughs) But it's like finding ways to like make that conversation interesting for them and allow them to like imagine a reality that exists outside of the one that they're in, where they get to be a, a freer, happier, healthier version of themselves and then helping them to like chart the path to how to get there. Yeah, I think that's how we do it. I feel like that's how we do it. But like pumping it full of adrenaline and fun the whole time, like making it manic, as manic as possible. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we were talking about this earlier because school is such a like echo cha- chamber or like a bubble in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had any feedback or like do you have any just kind of like worries or concerns or just thoughts about like what happens when like they go out into the real world and that, acceptance and that kind of I guess compassion towards diverting from the norm like you were saying isn't mm, kind of yeah I mean them in the same way or like literally every day I think I think I worry I think that might, might be the thing that I worry about the most is like yeah. our job is to like go into those spaces and create like safer containers for them to have the conversation in and not even like when they leave school, but literally when we walk out of the classroom, we have no control over anymore over what they do and what they say. Like I always finish sessions and I'm like, mm, maybe we can commit to not being dickheads about it. So if somebody's said something in here that you know is going to get them bullied when they leave, maybe just don't share it with people. Or like, if you want to talk about it, talk about it with people who are in the room. But I think the reality of the world is really different from like that ideal. But again, it is about, empowering them right like I think when we talk about education with young people especially when it comes to gender we always talk about female empowerment we always talk about sessions with girls that are empowering and encouraging and giving them strength and giving them skills and with boys it's about like policing behavior and teaching them what they're doing wrong and what not to say and what not to do but actually the boys need that encouragement as well right they need that empowerment to like step outside of their lived reality and try something different. And I, I, I mean, we don't pull any punches. There's no illusions that if a kid, let's say a kid is queer and their gender expression might be something different to what people would expect it to be. We know that when they walk out into the world, they're, they're going to be met with hostility. But I think it's about then giving people the tools to like navigate that and, and like the internal fortitude to know that who they are is valid and who they are is justified and that it deserves dignity and it deserves to belong and then I think that's like a lifelong fight for all of us who are trying to unlearn those scripts and those norms I think that's where some of those things about what masculinity is so some of those stereotypes about being brave and being strong are characteristics that all of us have to adopt no matter what our gender is right like if we want to be who we really are in the world then we're gonna have to fight for it and so yeah I think trying to empower the the young guys to like have that mindset or apply some of those norms or those expectations to areas that actually matter for them rather than just being in control of other people it's also about well how does being brave show up in my own reality how does it show up in myself for who I want to be in the world rather than it being like just to impress women so that you can sleep with them do you know what I mean so I think yeah trying to try a lot of it is like the shifting of the paradigm or like the framing of the conversation how do we reframe this thing that we have that causes so much harm to so many people disproportionately women and girls how do we reframe that into something that's like not telling people they're not allowed to be who they are but is telling them that like they have to use that to help other people around them rather than to harm them but again in a way that's fun I feel like I'm so boring on this podcast but I also think it's like super important Um, and it is the reality of like what we have to the conversations we have to have with our young people but just in ways that they want to have them do you know what I mean could we talk a little bit more about what some of the attitudes and 
problems and issues raised around sex mm. specifically. Um, I don't know whether, like, how much you talk about that with them, but yeah, like some of the things that come up. If you had to guess what they were, what would you say they were? What do you think? Like, based on your own lived experiences, what do you think those issues are for guys? I mean, I would say, like, penis size is a big one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, like getting girls. Yeah, yeah. Riz, Riz seems to be a big conversation at the moment. I'm not really like a, I don't know, I didn't grow up in a generation where that was the word that we used for it, so it sounds a little bit whack to me, but... Yeah, honestly, think... same. I feel like it's been in the last year or something. <laughs> it's like the most weird word you can use for chatting someone up. Um, but I think, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on guys to be the ideal man. So they need to have the chat, they need to have the body, they need to have the looks, they need to have the height, they need to have the penis size, they need to be able to do all of the things. That I think one of the big ideas is that, I, I guess they get this from porn, right? Or I say they, I guess we as a culture get this from porn, which is like this idea that sex is something that a man does to a woman. And if he does it right, it will be pleasurable for everyone rather than like sex being something that is an interaction between people where we like learn and grow together and and it's about mutual pleasure and mutual understanding but i think yeah what it really boils down to is like again there's this script of like what men are supposed to be i always refer to like james bond when i talk about it because in my mind like that's the archetype of like masculinity mm. but i know for different people it's different people or different things right and mm. I think what it really boils down to is having money again, being strong, which I guess looks like violence, and then sex is the, the other big thing. And I think in sex, there's a bunch of subcategories. I used to teach sex ed for a couple of years, a long time ago now. It's like seven years ago. That's crazy. But I used to teach sex ed um, for a couple of years. And I think one of the big things for the guys was that like, the majority of conversations weren't really for them. So they didn't feel like conversations around contraception or STIs were about them. They felt like they were about women and girls and about like protecting women and girls, which is a weird dynamic. And then I think <laughs> the other thing was that the conversation about consent was never framed as a conversation about them having consent or giving consent. It was always like, how do you get consent from other people rather than like, acknowledging that you're a person here as well and like you might not want to do some stuff that other people want you to do and so I think yeah so much of how masculinity shows up in sex is just performance do you know what I mean it's like do the things do it hard do it for a long time and it will be great and then there's also realities like the orgasm gap right where like the, the actual reality is women don't experience as much pleasure in sex with male partners because men don't know what they're doing because they don't listen. And so then I think, how do we destabilise those dynamics? And it's a difficult one because another stereotype about men is they don't like being told stuff, right? They don't like being told what to do. And that's a big part of masculinity is that you're supposed to be the leader. You're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to be dominant. You're supposed to know the answers. You're not supposed to ask for help. And so there's a lot of like unpacking, I think, for us to do as guys in terms of like how we relate to ourselves before we start thinking even about how we relate to other people particularly in the in the sense of sexual partners but again I think it's like work that can be done and I think often we talk about the problem without talking about what the benefits of solving the problem are but the benefits is like everybody has better sex do you know what I mean like everybody has a better time everybody feels more connected everybody feels more able to like express their needs and their wants and their desires and have those met by other people or another person and so yeah I think again it's like how do you establish what the problem is deconstruct it a little bit and then imagine something that's better I think that imagination part is probably like the biggest bit of, of solving the problem, right? It's like not just saying, here's the problem. Because I think as a culture, again, we're pretty good at the moment at saying, this is what the problem is. But we're not great at providing alternatives that are like attractive or appealing. But yeah, I think for most people, like the idea of good sex is an attractive idea. So maybe, we, maybe we've just got to reframe it again from like, stop doing this to like, start experiencing this or I don't know. Mm -hmm lead the positive masculinity movement with sex positivity. Definitely. <laughs>
Do you think, I guess now <laughs> that we're talking about like sex and dating, which is obviously our mm-hmm. favorite topic, it's so interesting what you're saying about like guys thinking like they have to be tall, they have to be strong, have like the perfect body. Because I also think that that's what so many women want from men. And mm. that's what they think mm-hmm. they should have. And it's kind of a status thing. Like, oh, I'm not going to date someone who's not this height or I'm not going to date someone who doesn't have these physical attributes. So right. then I guess moving away from putting all the onus on men, how can women and I guess just like everyone start to be aware of those things? Because I feel like even us on the podcast, like we were saying, we always say, oh, but men are so shit. And like you said in, in your TED talk, boys especially and men, I feel like are going to mm. learn what to be from what you think they are kind of thing. So how do we yeah. just get rid of all those assumptions and all of those judgmental views? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, man. I think I think no matter who you are, it's a tough undertaking because it requires a lot of self-awareness and reflection and self-awareness I don't know about you guys but self-awareness and reflection are like not my favorite things in the world it's not like where I love to spend my free time but I do think it's uh it's it's important one of the big messages in in the TED talk was that patriarchy is shit for everyone right like it harms all of us doesn't just harm women and girls it harms men it harms non-binary trans people no matter who you are all of us are fucked over by it but I think the other thing is that all of us exist in this society where the stream is flowing in one direction and I've heard these analogies right of like people having to be salmon that swim against stream and whatever I'm not like a biologist or a wildlife person so I might be talking nonsense I don't really know what I'm talking about but I think the reality is that when the stream is flowing that way no matter who you are you have to make a conscious decision to swim the other way and I, I often it often makes me think about race right like in terms of if we live in a society that's racist then it's not just that white people are racist it's that all of us have learned and embodied that form of racism or all of those different forms of racism and all of us have to unlearn them and for some of us that's internalized racism whereas for some of us that's racism that we project onto other people I think in the same way with gender we all learn all of these ideas about what men are supposed to be and what women are supposed to be and we all embody them like all of us desire certain things that are based on those stereotypes and those norms and I, I for me, it always gets into a bit of a grey area when we start to talk about like personal preference because I do think people should be allowed to have their own personal preferences. Mm-hmm. But I also think sometimes our personal preferences are rooted in prejudice towards other people or in like abiding by those social scripts that we've been fed. So like men being big, men being strong, men being dominant, having a strong body and like abs and six packs and whatever. I also think, well, like what does that script mean for men who are living with like chronic illnesses or men who are living with disabilities or men who have bodies that are not typical bodies how do those people access love and relationships and all of those kinds of things and I just think for a lot of us we've got a lot of unlearning to do I don't know I don't know what the answer is for women about how they do that unlearning and I guess for me it's not really my primary concern so like, I think I think women are smart and they'll figure it out. Do you know what I mean? They'll they'll figure it out in their own time when it's time for them to figure <laughs> it out. Right now we've got some other things to worry about. But I do think for women who wanna start unlearning that, there are some cool books that you can read, some cool podcasts you can listen to. I'll send you some of them afterwards and you can like leave them in a bio or something somewhere. But like there's yeah. some there's some good resources that you can access that help you to like start that process of interrogating where things that exist within you come from. And then I think it's just about making decisions. Do you know what I mean? Like all of us make decisions every day about what we want to do, who we want to associate with, how we want to treat people. And we can carry on making those decisions in line with the way we've always been taught to make them, or we can rebel against them and do something different. Um, But I think, yeah, I think it's like a a tightrope. On one end, it's like massive prejudice towards people and on the other end it's like virtue signaling and doing stuff to be a good person rather than doing what you actually want to do and I don't think either of those are the answer so it's like how do you find a path that runs down the middle where you're like allowed to be who you are Mm. but you also allow other people to be who they are and I think yeah 
The only thing I know is that hashtags on X are not going to be the, the solution. I know that at one point I had like real hope in the dad bod narrative because I was like, yeah, like we've we've cracked it and now men's body image can change and men can have their bodies however they want to have them. But like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think all of us have to deal with a reality that people are people and they're going to change and grow and be different and their bodies are going to change as time goes by. And yeah, I don't know. Just don't be like Leo. Do you know what I mean? Don't be like Leonardo DiCaprio. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Be, be, be better than that. Be better he's than not that. a role model for, yeah, for no, anyone. No, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's... Do you mind if I ask you like some personal questions? <laughs> no, 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 go for it. Yeah, because I know you said in your TED Talk mm-hmm. that you were like talking to your dad and your uncle and stuff about masculinity. And I like honestly completely unrelated to this, but I was talking to my granddad the other day actually about his friendships with people. And he said he's never asked his friends what they feel like. It's always about mm. what you think. And so in your own life, what has it been like having those conversations with your dad like is it well received what <laughs> no. <laughs> no girl <laughs> no it is not um, no my, my my dad my dad is a is a great man he's like a he's a good person good person is strong like I, I don't know how we judge whether people are good people but I like him he's cool okay. um but he's not like a, he's not like a big talker and he's not like an emotionally expressive person I was gonna say he's not an emotionally deep person but I have no idea how emotionally deep he actually is it's just that he doesn't express that openly with other people and I think my dad is also to give credit to him I've seen him over the last decade change a lot and become like a lot more relaxed maybe that's an age thing maybe it's me I doubt it's me maybe it's like having kids or like learning stuff or stop him work or whatever but he's like mellowed out a lot and is a lot more open to like talking and processing what he's thinking but also how he's feeling when I started in this job like it was what seven years ago we had like a rule or we had an imaginary rule that like everybody should have to talk to each other's families at Christmas so that you don't have to do it with your own family because I think actually having these conversations as a job is like super easy but having them in your personal life is quite difficult yeah we know all about Mm. that (laughs) right do you know what I mean like it's it's tough man because it's like and I think because the stakes are so much higher do you know what I mean like there's there's so much more investment with the people that you live with and the people that you love as opposed to like people that you see once and probably never see again but I, I know like Maybe my friends are a better example. I know like in my friendship groups, there were a couple of years where I just had to be the person that forced conversations that people didn't want to have. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it was a buzzkill and it was like a weird vibe and it was uncomfortable. But like a couple of years down the line, it's worked out well because at least if nothing else, my friends know that if they want to talk about something important or they want to talk about how they're feeling or about something deep, then I'm the person they can come to. And I think it's hard to strike that balance again between like still being a normal person and like still being chill and being able to laugh at stuff and (laughs) and then also creating those spaces intentionally for those types of conversations. Mm. But I think, yeah, especially for us as men, we're not socialized in ways to practice doing that we we probably stopped doing it at about 10 years old and then never really come back to it like from the time you get to secondary school and there are older guys around you that kind of mutes and you stop having those types of conversations so I think it has to be really intentional and I think as you learn the people around you you're having those conversations with it will become a lot easier I know like during pandemic during the first lockdown was it second lockdown might have been the second one I was living at my parents house and it was the first time I'd realized that my parents were like actual human beings do you know what I mean in in my mind up until that point they'd always (laughs) just be my parents rather than like full humans who exist outside of me and so it was like really weird being around them all the time because then I had to like grapple with their humanity in a really weird way but it was (laughs) it was cool because it was like also the first time I really had real conversations with my parents about like stuff that we were seeing on the news, like Black Lives Matter was happening at the time. The murder of Sarah Everard was happening around that time. 
well, not happening, but like the the response to the murders of Sarah Everard and Sabina Nessa, there was so much happening with like the government and like lockdown laws and people breaking rules and all of that kind of stuff. And it was just like, I guess in, in lots of ways, like the perfect opportunity to have meaningful conversations. But yeah, I'd be lying if I mm-hmm. said that they were super easy and super comfortable all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something you just got to like dive into. And that's what I did. And, and it's like, it takes a while, but in the end it feels beneficial. But it's just weird, isn't it? Like, I, even I remember in one of my past relationships, I started to notice that, like, my emotional bandwidth wasn't that wide. Like, I, I couldn't... Re- I could only have, like, a difficult conversation for, like, 20 minutes, and then I'd need to tap out, and I'd be like, it's enough. And so I started timing myself, and eventually got to about an hour. And I was really proud of myself, because I was like, oh, like, I've done a good job. And obviously, like, practising... It's like a muscle, right? Like, emotions and emotional literacy is, like, something that you have to exercise and you have to be intentional about practising. But I think the more we can normalise that is the better it will be for, for us and for people around us. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it's definitely easier said than done. Like, and then the amount of things that I'm like, yeah, I really should be better about that. And But that's like a good, that's actually quite a good tip. Like, you know, time yourself. Always just, like, mm. try to do mm. one more minute yeah. kind of kind of thing. Yeah. That's quite clever. I'm going to try that. <laughs> and, and also be gentle with yourself, right? Like, sometimes you just don't have the capacity. Yeah. But when you do, I think it's a cool thing to, like, try cool thing to practice also going to therapy Mm. helps a lot if you can go to therapy whoever's listening if you can go to therapy i would highly recommend it if you can't go to therapy or you can't afford to go to therapy then maybe try and get some free on the nhs because it's really it's really really good and just like understanding for me a big step in the journey was like understanding how my own brain works and like how i process things and why and then you can make different decisions about what you want to do in situations Mm. yeah every feeling we have I feel like goes back to that and that's like ultimately I guess what you're saying in terms of masculinity as well like there's no one set way to do things it's just you you will figure it out once you like get in contact with that side of yourself which is really cool yeah yeah but you have to like that that's the big thing right is like if we don't think about it then we will just fall into doing what other people are telling us to do or what we've been socialized to do because it's it's normal like it's the norm it's what everybody does so unless it's like an intentional moment and I think that's the aim of like all of the work we do is to be like a moment where people can have a a moment of consciousness and think oh my gosh like I, I don't think about this and then they can start to think about it for themselves and wherever that leads them is where that leads them do you know what I mean as long as it's something that makes them happy and doesn't cause harm to other people then we're good with it but yeah for some men they want to be bodybuilders for some women they want to be bodybuilders and they feel like they're not allowed to be for some men they want to be hairdressers and they feel like they're not allowed to and for some women they want to be hairdressers and they are allowed to and I think it's about just disrupting the thing that tells us what we are and are not allowed to do um, and allowing everybody to like opt into whatever they want to want to be really mm-hmm. and then we'll have much happier people in the world is the hope yay yeah. no it's so exciting like with all the kids that you're working with you must I mean I guess you you won't really know like you mm. won't see them as they grow up but like I guess we'll all see the collective benefit of like fingers crossed yeah what's yeah, going yeah. on yeah but, uh, we only get feedback forms that's about as far as the data goes do you know what I mean but, yeah and every now and then I run into a kid that I like did a workshop with five years ago and they're an adult now and they're like oh my gosh I remember that session I'm like I oh, shout out you Maggie glad you enjoyed it but yeah uh hopefully hopefully the impact will be a net positive um for for people that are in those sessions and that, yeah as long as they just get a chance to like think about it for themselves and like critique it in an environment that's safe where they feel like they're being listened to and they feel like they're being heard and they feel like their opinions are respected Mm. then it feels like it's worthwhile feels like it's good work yeah can't wait to see what happens and thank you so much (laughs) thank you thank you so much yeah um also if you want resources, I am going to send you that list of stuff. But if you want resources, mm-hmm. you can go to beyondequality.org and there will be a resource page with a bunch of like recommended reading, listening, watching um, documentaries, films, podcasts, books, 
oh, YouTube amazing. videos, TED Talks, whatever you want, whatever tickles your fancy, it's going to mm. be there. Um, so have a look there if you're looking for resources, but I'll send you the list. Yeah, amazing. I was also going to say if you wanted to plug anything else, like your Instagram or any social oh, media. Do I want to plug my Instagram? I want to do the right thing and say, follow Beyond Equality on everything. But you will see me there. You will see me there. Follow me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Give me those numbers, man. Give me that clout. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Beyond Equality on all socials. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, y'all. Thank you so much, Ben, for joining us. And I hope that all of you guys enjoyed that just as much as we enjoyed talking to Ben. I mean, he kept saying that he was rambling on a lot, but I was like, yeah, keep talking. Yeah, please keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I really appreciated him, like, talking to us about some actual ways that we can talk to boys and men and sort of expand our ideas of what boys and men can be so yeah I feel I feel pretty enlightened after that yeah and I feel like I do want to make a conscious effort in my own life to Mm. not chat shit about men all the time um (laughs) and also like just talk to the men in my life more not that there are like super many men in my in my life but I guess just like asking them how they feel about these things because I genuinely am interested but I feel like a lot of the time I'm like oh they just won't want to talk about it but that's not true like they're human they will want to talk about it so I guess it's just like opening up that space yeah no 100% so I hope this like inspires everyone to have those conversations with the men in their lives and also make the change in themselves about what masculinity means because as this mini series is trying to show there are many ways of being masculine and it's not Mm -hmm. just the traditional way if that's what works for you then that's you're cool but (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you do you boo that's all I have to say about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Ben. And as always, you can email us, sextraspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at sextrasworld. And you can find our podcast and our magazine at sextrasworld.com. And we'll obviously link all of the resources that Ben was talking about and the link to Beyond Equality below so you can check out more of their stuff. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye. You've been listening to Sextras, presented by Honey Jane Wyatt and Maria Jose Hayodatiyi, produced by Mabel Productions. Sex.